0: May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our first reading is from Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. O God, you are my God, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Our second reading is from James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is God's word to God's people.
1: where you felt like everything has gone off the track? I'm taking by the yes, the, the, the laughter, that you may know what I'm talking about. Imagine this. You start your week, and a loved one, whether it's your child, your parent, your significant other, your pet, falls ill. And you have to put your life on hold to take care of them for, for a season to make sure that they're okay. And then imagine that something that you were planning to take one day takes three or more days to complete. All of a sudden, this grand plan of to-do lists and tasks that you think you're going to get done gets brushed aside as you acknowledge that other things are going on in your life. This was my truth this week. As Mark got the flu on Sunday, stayed home with him on Monday, and then had to show up for jury duty on Tuesday. <laughs> Ironically, I was actually called for jury duty to start the day that we landed in the Holy Land. So I postponed my, my session for a few weeks and signed up for a week and a half after we got back, thinking, okay, I'll be mostly rested and it'll be a day. I want you to know that I actually have a great deal of respect for jury duty and I look forward to serving on a jury someday, but this was not the jury I wanted to serve on. I didn't know that when I signed up to show up on Tuesday that I was signing up to be on the jury selection panel for a six week trial. And I didn't know that I would be encountering a judge that I had encountered before who, when I had said, we're about to step into Lent and I've got a lot of Lenten classes to do, he went, well, you can find someone else to cover for you. So I knew that that was not going to be something that I could say to him that would dismiss me from the case. Between Mark being sick, my coworkers not wanting me to bring the flu into the office and jury duty, I was not at work at all this week, at least not in the tangible, physically in the office sense of the word, to the point that I got to church this morning and realized that I had left my keys on my desk last Sunday and was wondering how I was going to get into my office to get any of the things that I needed. It's been a week. I kind of feel like the person in the second scripture reading where I spent most of my week grumbling and grussing and, and not being the best person I could be because my plans about how the week were going to transpire completely went out the window before the week even started. And then I thought about what our sermon is supposed to be like this season, or for this month. And I went, Rachel, healer, heal thyself. I needed this hour of worship and the other two hours of worship before this to get my mind frame back on where it should be. Instead of it being about me and what I want and my desires and what I think needs to happen, I need to put that aside to get my focus back in line, to get my focus back where it needs to be, to put my focus back on my true north, my God, my Lord and Savior, and that's what worship is about when it's at our best, at its best. We come together for an hour to reorient ourselves so that the rest of our week can be one that is also of worship. This week, I'm going to talk about worship as an event. I'm going to talk about this hour of worship and what it's meant to be and how it helps prepare us. And next week, I'm going to talk about worship as a lifestyle. And I confess to you now that this last week, I did not do the best job at living into worship as a lifestyle. But, you know, irony of all ironies, as soon as you sit down and go, okay, God, I know I've been grousing about this. I've I've been saying I don't know how I'm supposed to get the kids to school, where I can drop them off at 8 a.m. and get to court for 9 a.m. in a timely manner. How am I gonna make this work? And the moment that I take the deep breath and go, okay, if this is what you want for me, I'll make this work. Within an hour, you get the message, juror number 11, Rachel Tabutal, you've been excused. <laughs> so there was a part of me that went, whew, all right, I don't have to prepare figuring out how I'm gonna be gone from the family for six weeks, but I'm sorry that I didn't accept the fact that you might be calling to me this me to this sooner, Lord. Worship at its best, or worship as worship as an experience at its best, is one that prepares us for the time ahead. There are some touch tones of great worship services. Last week, Pastor Walt told you about a worship service that touched his heart when he was in the Holy Land during his sabbatical, where he was worshiping in a church where they weren't speaking any English, but he still felt the power of the Spirit touch upon him and bless him in ways that were unimaginable. My guess is that most of us, or my hope is that most of us can have at least one of those experiences, if not a multitude of those experiences. And I decided to put it out on Facebook to to inquire of my friends two questions. One was, what is a worship experience that has really moved you? And the second is, what part of of a worship service is especially meaningful to you and why? Sometimes I float these questions out there and I get one or two answers or I get a bunch of likes with no responses and I'm like, no, I actually want your responses, people. This time was not that case. I actually had a good group of people responding, thinking about it and reflecting on it. And several people talked about worship experiences that were participatory, ones where they had prayer stations that they could go to, that they could reflect on, that they could engage in something at a space that gave them the chance to, to not just think about it, but to have a tactile experience uh, for what they were going through as well. Some people talked about a worship service where all their family was gathered for the first time, and it felt significant because they truly recognized that they were in this walk of faith together. Other people shared a variety of situations. One woman shared about a liturgical dancer that was invited to her church who was an improvisational person dancer, so she had never heard the piece of work that the pianist was playing, and she just responded to the music that was being shared. And the way in which these two artists mix their gifts and talents together was one that moved her beyond belief. All of us have different experiences about a worship service that has touched us, but most of us will be able to say, I know that when I come to church... This specific part is one that is really meaningful to me. I even asked that question of the children this morning at the nine o'clock service, and it was very sweet. And I had some answers that were the standard answers that I expected, and some that touched my heart because they said the children's message yes, we're doing something right. They like that time, they know that they're learning about God at that time. Wonderful. But several said, I love to sing with my mom. I like when I get to give my mom a hug at the time that we pass the peace. I like the the chance that we have to engage with one another. Praise be that we're teaching our children how to worship early and so that they know that they are welcome in a place of worship and they know that they have a place that they can come learn about God and refocus their lives as well. Most of the standard answers that people give me when I ask what's your favorite part of worship are one, the music, whether it's the music that is shared, the music that is sung together, uh, prayer, the time where we share our burdens and griefs and joys with one another, And communion. Those are those, communion or baptism, the sacraments. Those tend to be the elements that are shared most often. We do occasionally get the I really like a good sermon, which is always nice to hear too. (laughs) But I would say that all preachers recognize that we all come to worship for different reasons. No one worship service is going to speak to everybody in entirety, in its entirety. But hopefully, there's a little nugget, a little moment where God has a message for you. Whether it's in the passing of the peace and seeing someone that you haven't seen in a while and remembering that God has given you this beloved brother or sister in Christ who walks this journey with you. Whether it's that moment where you get to lay that burden down that's been on your heart. Whether it's that you, or it could just be that you've been wrestling with something for a long time. And having the moment of calm and peace, all of a sudden you have that epiphany, that aha moment where God says, this is how you take care of that. And you just go, oh my gosh, how did did I miss that? That seems so clear now. Thank you, Lord. But it's when we focus our attention on God that we get these epiphanies. There's a, a pastor who used to serve in Simi Valley who had a member of his congregation come up to him one day and said, Pastor, I got nothing out of church today. And the pastor looked at the member of the congregation and said, That's okay, because worship wasn't about you. <laughs> Which I, I heard a, <gasps> in the congregation. Because worship at its best is about God. It's not about us. It's about us getting ourselves out of the way so that we can experience God more fully. It's about allowing ourselves to give praise and honor for all that God has done in our lives to say thank you and to say what's next. It's not about us. It's about what God's doing for us, for others, and in the world. Worship at its best is taking the time to listen to God. The author of the book that we're looking at during this sermon series of setting a course for a better life talks about worship in this way. He says the touchstones of leading weekly worship experiences, engaging believers powerfully, should have these four elements. One of them should not be surprising because they've already said it. It's not about us. Worship experience is about God and focusing our praise and thanksgiving towards the source of our being. It's not showy. It's not about having the flash and bangs and having everything correct, but it's having everything well-constructed, that we are careful and intentional about the things that we select, the pieces of music that we sing, the scripture, the prayer, but we also leave room for the Holy Spirit to work so that the Holy Spirit can do what is needed. Worship is focused it's preaching and teaching the word in practical and focused ways that allow for worship to be tangible, for us to take away a nugget that is something that God needs us to know each week. It's experiential. It's something that we are engaged in acts of worship together rather than spectators spectators in a worship event. That's why we say prayer together. That's why we why we sing together. That's why we participate in communion and baptism and we have a liturgy that we do together. Liturgy by its very definition means the work of the people. When we gather together and recognize that we are stronger as a body than we are individually, we experience God more profoundly. And most importantly, worship is relational. That's where the greeting one another comes in. It's where recognizing that we can support one another and bear one another burdens together. We need all of those things to live in worship and to live in such a way that we celebrate who God is and what God is doing in our lives and in the world. I don't know if you know this, but most worship services have a standard flow of things that actually dates back to biblical times. It's a flow of worship that has been so tried and true that we keep doing it because it helps prepare us. There's an emotional arc that happens and it allows us to be open to how God is speaking to us each and every day. We start with a time of gathering, whether it's that you come in quietly and reflect on the prelude that Jenny or someone else has prepared for us, or you visit with one another because you haven't seen each other and you know that something is going on in each other's lives. Both of those are opportunities for us to gather, to, be, to prepare ourselves for what God might have in store. And then we take a time period of praise and prayer, that moment where we do that liturgy together, where we sing songs and we lift up our burdens and sorrows and joys with each other. That allows us to open our hearts in such a way that God's spirit can intervene, can work into the openings that we have allowed so that we might hear something new, so that we might experience how God is offering us transformation this day. And once we've allowed ourselves to be open, God's word is proclaimed through the anthems that we hear, through the scriptures that are read, through the sermons that are preached. Hopefully one of those three, if not all of those three, touch your heart in some way. It is said that song is prayer twice because you are singing words that give honor and praise to God, but then you also have the music that creates another emotional layer to it, so that you have two layers of prayer going on, both the melody and the tune along with the lyrics that speak a powerful message of grace and peace. Once we've received that moment of proclamation, we have the opportunity to respond. My favorite opportunity to respond is when we have communion once a month, but we respond each and every week. We respond by giving our tithes, gifts, and offering, taking the time to say, thank you, Lord. You have blessed me so richly this week. Let me give you a small token of appreciation, and I trust you that you're going to do something bigger than I could ever imagine with that gift. I know that when you combine all of our gifts together, we are working to bring about your kingdom. We are working to bring about something bigger than me individually. Lord, let me put myself aside so that I can be focused on you. Use these gifts to do just that. And then we have ascending forth. I had to laugh because one of my friends actually said that the benediction was their favorite part of the worship service. Now, he said it because he said he knew that worship was almost done. But he also said, just kidding after that. So I'm going to take him seriously when he said, just kidding. Because I actually really like the benediction. It's our marching orders for the week. It's what tells us how we're supposed to depart this place and what we're supposed to do. Because our lives and our praise of God should not be contained to one hour on a Sunday morning, but should be how we live our lives each and every day. You're going to hear a little bit more about that next week, so that's the teaser for y'all to come back next week, okay? Um, The author of our book talked about worship at its best, having a GPS focus. He talked about it being God-centered. I've talked about that a little bit. He talked about it being participatory, and he talked about it being sensory, because I know that not all of us are auditory learners. I know that some of us are looking at the papers in front of us. Some of us are looking at how the light shines through our stained glass windows. Some of us are taking in the smells of the lilies and not having an allergic reaction, but going, ah, the beautiful fragrance of God. We need to use our senses. We need to use our imaginations. We need to engage in God in a variety of ways. I think that we can probably do more with our sensory experience in worship. And I hope that maybe that's something that we'll talk about next week. But again, the spirit will flow and guide us where our conversation needs to go. And I fully trust in that. Next week, I'm going to introduce to you my GPS focus. It's not the, well, it is God-centered participatory and sensory, but I have a little bit of a different acronym for GPS that I'd love to share with you, and I look forward to having that opportunity. Because when we are worshiping well, we come here to get the tools so that we can then go out into the world and continue to worship each and every day. My hope is that this worship experiences today and worship experiences throughout the time that you've been here have been ones that have nurtured your souls and given you the tools so that you can praise God and sing the hallelujahs and the praises that God deserves. Amen? Amen.